This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original series. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and we have a very special guest with us today to talk about one of his favorite episodes of Star Trek, The Alternative Factor, Brandon Shavatella. Brandon is the host of a lot of tricks and has been doing some great stuff over there, but he's also known for his unique taste when it comes to Star Trek. Case in point, his love for this episode. How's it going, Brandon? I am doing absolutely fantastic. Ah! I just fell off of a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So I don't know if we're, do we have good Brandon or bad Brandon here? If, if we have the good Brandon, how about explaining your love for the alternative factor? Right off the bat, you want me to jump right into it? So, well, I'm just kind of we, we we we're putting this episode together. Uh, first of all, we love having you back. Um, you know, you make you make these episodes a lot of fun. And and one of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, meeting both you guys in Las Vegas was the different conversations we have. And, and you have a, a cool perspective on things. And and I love your passion. <laughs> and so we said, hey, we're going to do an episode on the alternative factor. And of course, my eyebrow raised a little bit. Okay. And, and Brandon's going to talk about his love for it. I went, I can't wait for this. So <laughs> <laughs> I do love this episode a lot. And, you know, so my I, I've said this many times that I've only been involved really in Star Trek fandom over the last year and a bit now. And like my fandom was dead. I, I watched all the Star Trek when I was young, but I never really had anybody to discuss my Star Trek fandom with. So when I started getting involved on the Babel conference and talking to people and finding out that some of the things that I really love and hold dear to my heart are like despised by people or like trashed by people. Like, I'm just like, what is going on? And it really threw me for a loop. And, you know, some of the things that I like that a lot of people don't, I mean, you know, Dr. Pulaski on The Next Generation, I love and I always have loved. And uh, some of the episodes of the original series. And one of them was The Alternative Factor. And one of the fascinating things that I found whenever anybody mentioned The Alternative Factor and they were talking bad about it was, I hate this episode it's boring and doesn't make any sense. And every time I asked somebody to elaborate on it, they would respond with something like, oh, I could go on forever. And I'm like, please, tell me. And all people could ever say is it's boring and doesn't make any sense. And to me, it I don't know, the episode makes sense to me. And I think it's a completely fascinating episode. The first time I watched it when I was a kid and that winking out effect happened and they're like, the universe just winked. I'm just like, oh my goodness, what is this? This is the craziest thing ever. The entire universe winked. <laughs> 
And, you know, people retcon and they're like, oh, the galaxy and everybody in the quadrant of the galaxy. It's like, okay, so this is in the first <laughs> season. They didn't establish anything, okay? There's lots of continuity errors in Star Trek. So if you're going to trash an episode because of continuity errors, I, I think that's ridiculous. But that effect was completely fascinating. <laughs> And so here we are. The second most fascinating aspect of this episode is the main guest of this episode is lying to the crew for half the episode. There's a monster. He's evil. He's terrible. He's this crazy alien monster and we got to kill him. He's going to destroy us all. And he believes this, but basically it's a lie for half the episode. And that's a storytelling element that's not taken advantage of very often. You don't get that very often. The only other thing I can think of, uh, I believe the ep it's called Stage Fright. It's, a, it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And I'm going to spoil this 60-year-old movie for you guys. But the movie opens with people on the run and they're telling a flashback. Well, at the end of the episode, you find out that that person lied when they told that flashback. And it completely changes the entire movie. You know, so something like that, you, you don't get that very often where information that you're given to is a lie right off the bat. If you don't mind, Brandon, could you give us a brief synopsis of this episode? Being such a fan, I think you're the perfect guy to do it. So I don't know if I can do it. I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if you had asked me the same question, that would have been a very difficult thing to do. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Enterprise is on its standard survey mission. They're they're examining this planet, and they come across some weird subspace anomaly. After this subspace anomaly occurs, this completely devoid of life planet suddenly has life on it. It suddenly has a person on it. So they go down and they investigate, and they find a, a man who's traumatized, who's upset, because he's been, as he says, he's trying to destroy this this monster who's you know done all these bad things. So they bring him up to the ship, and as the episode goes along, uh, they find out that this guy that they brought on the ship seems to have like two personalities. Sometimes he's sometimes he's sane, sometimes he's crazy. But they start to realize that there's something fishy with this guy. Okay, after some dilithium crystals go missing, they go down to the planet. Kirk falls into an alternate universe and meets an alternative version of this guy and says, "Look, this guy." So while he's talking to him, he says, "Look, this guy is crazy." He couldn't handle the fact that there's more than one of him in the infinite parallel universes here. So he is bent on destroying me. And because of the way that their universes work, if they were to meet outside of this negative corridor that's joining them, it would completely destroy the universe because of a positive and negative, basically matter and antimatter collision would destroy the universe. So at the end of the episode, the, the saner version of Lazarus decides to sacrifice his own life and get trapped in this negative corridor to keep this insane version of him here so that it saves both universes. That's a very good synopsis. I think you, you captured it well, because it's, it is, I guess in one way it's it's simple, and then another way when you're watching it, it can be a little complicated. And I guess what I mean by that is, and this is, this is you, you know, re-watching the episode for this for this uh, podcast, one of the things that, that I immediately thought is... I. I think I could have done this in 30 minutes, I think. And and it and it seemed like it just kept it kind of kept going. You you started to kind of figure it out what was what was happening. And um and and it's like okay, so we're just going to you know it, it's going to be that oh, there's the good guy, here's the bad guy versus you know one with a band-aid, one without. And I think conceptually they were trying to do something 
extraordinarily creative and and it's almost like the the um the struggle was was trying to to capture and tell that story but i can tell brandon from the first time you watched it not only that you that you did you get it um it it pulled you right into that whole concept which when you think about it has been a um, a Star Trek kind of mainstay throughout all the other series, right? Going back and forth, parallel universes. That's that's something that started with that episode and kind of um, got pulled along because of it. Yeah, and one thing that I want to say right off the bat here as well is I'm not an idiot. Like I I, I by no means think that this is like the best episode of Star Trek, but it's one of my favorite ones to watch. And I think that there's a distinct difference, right? Like City on the Edge of Forever is a way better episode than this, right? I'm not going to lie. Like that's obvious. It's a better written story. It's better produced. But I don't have as much fun watching the City on the Edge of Forever as I have watching this episode. And there's some really cheesy stuff in this episode. Like that shot right at the end there when he's like, oh, he's going to kill us all. Kill, 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 kill. Like, I don't know. Like it's, that's really cheesy, right? But but I don't know. I just love watching this episode, and I get way more enjoyment out of watching this than I do The City on the Edge of Forever or The Trouble with Tribbles. I definitely understand what you're saying about how great episodes of any TV show or great movies, even though they're excellent, they don't have a, a great rewatchability factor. I would disagree about those specific examples. I would I would definitely <laughs> rather watch City on the Edge of Forever or Trouble with Tribbles than this, but I, I do see what you're saying. Uh, just, good doesn't necessarily mean I want to watch this all the time, and I have such fun watching it. You can appreciate something for its greatness without wanting to revisit it all the time. So in concept, I, I agree with you there, Brandon. But, uh, you know, the the alternative factor, it, it is infamous in Trectum. Uh, I mean, we reached out on the Babel Conference to, just to let people know we were going to have this conversation. And I just wanted to read off some of the, some of the comments, <laughs> what our listeners had to say about it. Uh, so first of all, <laughs> John Carlo Cruz said, I, have <laughs> I only have one thing to say. Ah! <laughs> as, I, as I fall <laughs> off a cliff. It's very funny, John. Um <laughs> James Scott says, this is an episode that I look forward to rewatching, mainly to see if I can figure out what the heck is going on. Well, hopefully I've cleared that up for you. <laughs> Brandon Shane Mattella said, yay, this is going to be fun. I love this episode. <laughs> so, Brandon, let us know what you think. Um, Davis Grayson had this to say. He says, this is a fun episode, and a shame they never followed on what happened. That's true. Yeah, just as an aside in these comments here, this could have been, if they if they were really like digging into possible sequel episodes for like later shows right like next generation or d space nine or voyager right what if they like come across this corridor and it opens up right and it's these guys fighting or something like that 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 would have been actually that comment kind of spurred my my thinking oh oh you know what they, they could have actually revisited this if they wanted to you know obviously with a different actor okay i gotta say if they had made an animated series sequel to this that would have been perfect <laughs> well yeah i mean the That's animated an series point, yeah. you look at the magic of magus 2 or whatever you're like yeah they totally could have i feel like this concept <laughs> could have been much better executed on an animated series when you don't have to worry about the budget because i think that's a huge drawback in the execution here christopher Baca said the end of doctor strange reminded me of the alternative factor christopher lutz said i always enjoy this episode i don't feel it deserves the negativity it seems to get and then my friend jimmy goss had this to say he says this episode gave me a new appreciation for Spock's brain, the outrageous Okana, Shades of Grey, <laughs> Prophet and Lace, let he, <laughs> let he use without sin, a night in sick bay, and Threshold. So, uh, how do I point, how do I unfriend take, people taken. on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so sensitive. Uh, and then, then, then to, to round it out here, to round, to round it out here, Matthew Bell. 
uh, says, It's a shame we never got to see the original concept of this episode, which was changed due to similar themes to Space Seed. And we'll get into that uh, as we wrap up our discussion at the end there. We'll come back around to what this episode could have been. Okay, you, you missed one of Jimmy Goss's comments here. We've got to say it here because I want to touch on this as well. He says, For me, it's the annoying dimensional transition sequences over and over and over again. And I want to talk about that. <laughs> I'm 100% agreeing with Jimmy there, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. What, but, but but Matt Matt Bell also says um, even the version we got is not deserving of the hate it often gets. Plus, we get to see a cool new section of engineering, another example of the many amazing swing sets they created in season one. Another cool idea is the birth of the parallel universe concept, which would go on yep. to be so crucial the following year in Mirror Mirror. And for a majority of seasons in DS9. So to your point, Brandon and Ken, you know, mm-hmm. both of you guys have said this established some things that became staples in Star Trek moving forward. So, you know, actually a pretty wide variety of opinions from uh, our listeners of the Veil Conference. So it's it's interesting. You know, I didn't I didn't expect I didn't expect everyone to be like, Yeah, oh, this is the worst episode ever, but I was surprised there was a pretty good balance of positive and negative, you know, anti and <laughs> positive and negative. <laughs> I just want to thank Matthew Bell for his positive comments there, and and uh, thank you for writing that out there. The checks in the mail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, so um, you know there are many behind the scenes reasons for why this episode turned out the way it did. And like I said, we'll, we'll we'll wrap back around to that at the end. But for now, let's focus on the episode as it stands, like as it exists, because you have to judge stuff on its own merit. Like Star Trek Five, for example. I think Star Trek Five. I like Star Trek Five more than most people. I feel like it has a very interesting, I won't feel like, I know it has a very interesting production history. I think some of the original concepts were very ambitious and fascinating, but at the end of the day, you have to judge it for like what it actually was. And unfortunately, it's the least of the TOS movies for those reasons, in my opinion. With that framework in mind, Ken, what did you think of the alternative factor? What, what, did, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, as I was saying before, I, I thought that conceptually there was some, some really good ideas with this, and I, and I felt it kind of dragged out longer. than I think they were trying to take a very interesting concept. They did what they could with the effects at the time, and it just went on too long for me. But that doesn't mean I, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate it. And every time I rewatch because of our friends in the Babel Conference, because of conversations that I've had with both of you guys, I, I really try to be as open-minded as possible and, and try to, to, to kind of pull in certain things. What, what's funny is, is I walked away with something, I, I don't know why it stuck with me, but it, it definitely, it did, was obviously Scotty was not in this episode, and they had a female African-American chief engineer. And I didn't remember that, right? And, and I assumed that that lieutenant was the chief engineer. She was down in engineering. She was talking about the damage to the Enterprise. And um, I thought, geez, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a, a groundbreaking piece. We always talk about um, uh, Ohura being on the bridge and that being groundbreaking. But I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, this is a, a character I, I didn't recall the first time I watched it. Maybe it was kind of nondescript. But now that I look at things a little bit differently, I look for the things that... that that Star Trek was trailblazing. And so it came up with a, a a very cool plot device and idea that had legs. It had 
um, an interesting, you know, uh, view of the future and, and a much more open and liberal view that was happening. And, and I know you can say that about Star Trek in general, but, but that's pretty cool. You know, it was just something that was just like, hey, you know, that's, that's a good thing about this episode. Um, certain things that could pull you out of it looking at it today. Yeah, the effects were a little rough. Um, do they really need band-aids in the 23rd or 24th century? I mean, we've got Durabon today, but you know, those were, those were kind of the one-offs that, 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 that kind of would, would pull me in and out. But overall, I thought that, um, conceptually it was good. The acting in it was not that great. I, I didn't think that Lazarus character was very believable. Um, when he was sane and calm, he was okay, but the, um, it was a little bit over the top, I thought, as far as um, the guy who was who was going a little bit insane. But yeah, I, I mean, did I love it? I can't say I loved it. I, I just felt like, man, if this could have been trimmed down, this would have been, Brandon, I think a great animated series episode. It would have been the perfect amount of time, and they could have done more with the effects. Well, maybe, maybe not. But the animation <laughs> could have done a little bit more, I think, and, and it would have worked out well. But you know, to what you were saying, Zach and Brandon, you know, taste is very subjective, and there's no right or wrongs in any of this. And as as you were saying about Star Trek Five, I'm I'm not a real big fan of that movie, but my favorite movie of all time for Star Trek is the motion picture, and people look at me like, really? Okay, um, you know, it it, it had some 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 themes like the alternative factor. You know, it seemed like a little bit it was it was long, it was plotting, and all those other things. Um, so I, I can understand why people could watch this and have a good time, and I can understand why people are watching this going, okay, can we speed this up a little bit? We know where this is going. Yeah, you've got a good point there because, you know, it is a little bit slower. But um, I don't for, – for, again, watching this for me, I wouldn't cut a single second okay. out of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't cut a single second out of this. Sure. Because it's – for me, it's the sum of its parts, and it's greater with the sum of its parts. You know, um, uh, Jimmy Goss said online, and I want to bring this point up now, is the uh, the how many transitions there were and how many how much fighting there was. There isn't that much, and if you go back and you watch it, one really fascinating thing about this is when the two Lazarus battle uh-huh. only happens when they're on the planet. Okay, when they switch positions on the ship, it's quick, and there's no big battle right. in the negative void. And I think that's really fascinating. And that says something about how this force is concentrated more on the planet than it is elsewhere. Yeah, it goes across the galaxy and the universe or whatever, right? But I don't know. I think that's completely fascinating how they don't do these major battle sequences in the negative void on the ship. I don't know. I think that's fascinating. And the fact that it's done in a negative film stock, well, it's described as a negative corridor. You know, so yeah, it's cheesy effects. Right? They did what they could with the time. Mm-hmm. Right? But I bring up one of the fan favorites of um, Devil in the Dark, and it's a walking carpet. Right? Oh, like, yeah. you know, it's the 60s, and they only could do so much with their special effects, right? But, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't. Hey, the effects didn't bother me. I mean, I, I just kept waiting for, you know, that, that spinning sequence in the middle of the galaxy to come back with like a. A New York Times headline or something, and that that was <laughs> yeah, yeah. that that kind of just um, you know as I was watching it, I I don't tend to judge Star Trek by its effects. I really try not to, um, you know that that really is the downfall really of Star Trek Five. I mean its plot and all that stuff and what they were trying to do, but the effects kind of pull you out of it in a modern state. When I look back at Star Trek in 1965, 66 when this was made, 
I don't judge that, but that was one effect. I just kind of went, well, you know, maybe if they didn't do that and you weren't expecting to see something that was used very, you know, for that, that's been a very, very common device that is used. And, and I literally think it was a newspaper type thing that they did and they just left it blank. That was that was a very bizarre special effect choice, yeah. That was my only criticism of the effects, but I, I like you, Brandon. I don't I don't pick on the show because of its if it's of its effects. I, I don't think that's right. It it is um and, and it's one of the things that keeps Star Trek alive fifty years later is is the great stories. There are a lot, a lot of T V shows that were made in the fifties, sixties and seventies, and they have no carryover value. They just don't, you know, even if the plots are somewhat good or the acting's good or whatever, you can't watch it for five minutes. Star Trek still has that ability to pull you in, which it's incredible. But that that was probably the one thing that I kept going, oh, that, yeah, all right, whatever, you know, we move on. But Yeah, this episode for me, I, I barely remembered it, to be honest, because I just probably watched it once, maybe when I was a kid and and then, like, I never really revisited it because it just didn't interest me. And, and then there's, I mean, there's so much other Star Trek to, to watch to get your fix so rewatching it here i i thought you know at the first for the first like 10 or 15 minutes i said oh you know what this is this is interesting you know i'm, I'm on board with this but then it just it kind of collapses on the complexity of itself they don't really i feel like the execution is not there uh conceptually like as you described the plot earlier brandon give this the synopsis i'm like you know what that sounds like a cool episode i'd want to watch that you know if that was a short story or something that 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 might be pretty cool but as it translates into the actual episode of star trek there's just they they just miss on so many levels i i find just the the inconsistent acting the inconsistent i mean there's lots of inconsistencies Talk about continuity. I mean, we we always, I mean, we we have fun with and make fun of Star Trek and their lack of continuity between episodes and series. But I'm talking about like internal episode continuity here. You know, like we're talking about like Lazarus's beard changing, right? In some scenes, it's like very thick. In other scenes, it's like barely there at all. It's like was we're just no one paying attention. It's just very sloppily put together episode. You know, I mean, like uh, when Lazarus beams down he he knocks out the transporter chief his chin and beams down yeah <laughs> oh i didn't know <laughs> <laughs> that was funny uh but then kirk runs in there immediately afterwards and the guy's fine and the, and the, the guy's fine he's just standing there he's like beam me down on the planet no problem sir uh so little stuff like that like, write you up later you know yeah exactly so i mean and then you know it's just there's no scotty and sulu which is kind of weird we kind of have like the b team <laughs> Where I guess this happened on the night shift <laughs> of the Enterprise, um, and it's fine. Look, I like seeing different crew members. I mean, you mentioned Lieutenant Masters, um, and it was it was great to see an African American woman in a in a position of authority. I mean, she was you know pro- a high up engineering officer, although she was a lieutenant, right? So two things. I'm gonna get all Star Trek nitpicky on you. Didn't have lieutenant stripes yeah, on her uniform, so too, yeah. wardrobe fail. And then she's wearing blue, and yeah, she should so be wearing red. red. So wardrobe fail. Uh, but in uh, Mark Cushman's book, These Are the Voyages, Volume 1, I got his whole set of books when we were at Star Trek Las Vegas, and I've been reading through it. And he has a lot of interesting stuff to say about this episode, about what could have been, which, which like I said, like I keep teasing, we'll get to. But uh, you, you mentioned uh, 
you know, her, that character, the Tenant Masters, and, and uh, being in, in the episode. And they actually make a big point about it that she was able to use her real hair, like her Afro-styled hair. That was very outside the norm in the 60s. You know, uh, black women were encouraged to, like, wear wigs and that kind of stuff. So that was actually a pretty bold statement. In fact, Jean Kuhn's secretary actually talks about how that was an encouragement to her. She always was told, like, by her mother and stuff, oh, you always got to wear wigs, you know, and, and to, to quote-unquote fit in. And then she, you know, this actress comes in and has a good role, just has her own natural hair, and that encouraged her to, like, she, like, went to the bathroom, put water in her hair, pulled out a comb, and it was all natural from there on. So little things like that, you know, even in these ridiculous episodes of Star Trek, there are little things that, that mean something to other people. And because you never know what certain episodes are going to mean to certain people. That's the great thing about Star Trek. It's the great Rorschach test, right? What I'm saying is there, there's so many factors that, uh, so many alternative factors. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I think you just found the episode title. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but yeah, so, you know, th- what I, I definitely don't think this episode is one of Star Trek's best. When you look at it in regards to TOS season one, I mean, uh, just in that, if that's going to be its own self-contained thing, I do think it's one of the worst. Because TOS Season 1 is one of the best seasons of Star Trek, or best seasons of television. I mean, classic after classic after classic. And there's almost 30 episodes in it, and this is probably one of, you know, one of the bottom two or three. Uh, and, you know, they, they recognize that, too, because they delayed it. Because this episode was filmed way early. This episode, production-wise, it was the 20th episode filmed, and it, it aired uh, third to last, <laughs> you know, of the 29 episode season. So, so they put it off as long as they could, um, but, you know, t- t- I guess hide it, which is an interesting way to look at television. Because these days, you know, you have your sweeps weeks, and you build towards, like, the season finale to get people excited about, like, uh, the show wrapping up and, and to get them, you know, excited about it coming back the next season. And while and back then, though, they, they they had a very different approach where they kind of put off the episodes they didn't want anyone to watch <laughs> to the end of the season, which is an interesting approach. Television has changed quite a bit, obviously, since the 60s. But, um, yeah, but bottom line, I guess, in summary for me, a, a high concept, right? But it's, it's reach... Uh, out, out what, what's the term the reach outreached its grasp that's not the right the grasp <laughs> reached its reach the I don't know something like that just outside it, just outside the grasp you all know the saying I'm trying to quote <laughs> so I know what I what you what wanted did, to say so. is what of Lazarus what what of Lazarus um, okay so I had Lazarus. a question here so I, I gotta say I never noticed the beard like when like even still when I watch it I never notice if there's an inconsistency with the beard, but I got to ask because Ken mentioned the band aid thing. So the band aid thing was designed specifically so that you could see that something strange was going on here between and that there was two of them, right? And so it's a clue for the audience. And uh, what would you have them do if not the band aid? Like what what other option do you think they could have done? Because they could have done something else. It didn't have to be a band aid, right? I honestly thought what you were saying before was when I first was watching it, because there is such a difference in the beard, and I think you'll notice it when you when you watch it again, Brandon, that that was first the difference between good and bad, because as I watched it, and you realize quickly on the ship, when they switch roles, kind of suddenly, and you know, the, the little bit of flux there, uh, I was wondering if maybe they had been shifting all along because of the beard. That was my initial thought, and, and it turned out that wasn't the case, by the way. But because the the makeup was so poorly done, I was like, okay, this must be the visual cue before the battle where he gets scratched or falls off the cliff for the second or third time, whatever it was. And, um, it, you know, it, it's okay. I, I Like I said, Brandon, when it's it's not so much that they, they didn't need a visual cue to let us know. They did do that. And, and I don't know. I'm not sitting here in, in judgment saying you could have done better. It's just that I, I think in terms of 
because maybe I, I work for a, a rather large medical device company and I think of the future and it's like, you know, Band-Aids, all that stuff. Um, you know, my my wife used the same product that, that we make here in Connecticut when she went through surgery. It was called Durabon. They didn't even need to use sutures or staples. They were able to just put the skin together. They put this thing on it and it healed. Yeah, but it was right? a space I mean, band-aid because it was reflective. It was a space band-aid <laughs> and it was a very cool space band-aid. But the other piece of it too was the whole, you know, geez, doctor, I don't find that very funny. You know, not now. You know, so there's a serious event going on, and Kirk is dismissing the doctor as playing a practical joke, which is not something he's really But he's, he's really done that for. before with, uh, with the man trap, right? When, he's, when, when Dr. McCoy is like, I swear I saw young Nancy Crater there, and, and Kirk is yeah. getting upset with him right? because he's got a dead, dead crewman to look after, right? He's like, right? So it's, it, to me, that's like a... Yeah, but there was an emotional attachment there, right? He's he's looking at his own. Yeah, he's he's thinking Bones is being emotionally compromised about the situation, not pulling a prank on him. Although I I do love I do love when Bones like he he pulls the band aid off Lazarus. It's just he's like it's so funny. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I don't know what visual cue they could have used. It 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 served its purpose, right? Yeah. You know that that's just me. Uh, well, yeah. I, I was confused about like when. Even with that visual cue, I don't think they quite executed it well because, like, as Ken was saying, the beard threw me off. You got to put like if you're gonna have two versions of a character, you, you got to pay attention to those little things. I'm sorry, that's just that's crucial. And then you know, I don't think we saw the good Lazarus that much, did we? Because he almost always had the bandaid on, and he was almost always acting crazy. So I was and like, they I, were I, both ha, ha, they were both stealing from the enterprise. Yeah, they were both doing bad so I things. So I didn't yeah. get that one was good or bad until the very end. Right, you know, they could. Right, yeah. it's like they they should they keep saying, oh, it appears as if he's two different people. I'm like, when when did he appear this way to you? Because when he turns into the quote unquote good Lazarus, he's by himself in the you know the rec room or whatever. And then he goes and steals the dilithium crystals. I don't think they. I can't even remember when they honestly interact with the good Lazarus for an extended period of time. And I mean, there's so much dialogue about like, oh, well, he's acting this way and that way. But it's it's show don't tell. Right. The, the characters don't see this. We see this and we barely see it at that. So it's just very confusing way to to portray that to the audience, I find. Well, I always interpreted it that it would have been like, you know, information like from talking to other people. I mean, I, I understand I'm trying to justify things, right? But you know, it would be information like people are dealing with Lazarus. He's on there. He's sitting in the uh, he's sitting in the rec room with people, right? And you know, it could be like information that's relayed to the to the captain and stuff, right? Like, hey, we were just talking to him and he's crazy. And hey, well, I don't know. I, he, I was talking to him. He's fine, right? So, well, to that point, like they have a very lax security protocol when it comes to this guy because, like. Him and La- Kirk and Lazarus have this like argument on the bridge, like you will give me those crystals, Captain. And then he storms off into the turbo lift, and nobody stops him, right? And then somebody steals the the lithium crystals, like, oh, we need to find Lazarus. He's he's not in sick bay, and it's like, guys, just put some restraints on him, do something, like letting this guy wander around the ship, and, he, and he's causing trouble. You're already suspicious about him, so I don't. Very lazy on Starfleet's part. Yeah, but what is what has he done wrong at that point? He hasn't done anything wrong. Were they gonna throw him in jail for nothing? I don't know. They could at least assign a security guard to him. Don't let him storm off the bridge by himself in the turbo lift. So I I don't know. Like, like there was a lot of contrivance here to allow the episode to happen. Like, may, perhaps I missed it. I didn't even understand the mechanism for which they were switching places. Like, what triggered that? Like, I understand that, that bad Lazarus found the good universe or each each Lazarus found that there was an alternative universe and they reacted just as they would. But what is causing them to switch places? The ships. So the two spaceships, like somehow, somehow the spaceships are linked, right? And that's that's what that's where 
the concentration of everything is, right? And so this spatial anomaly occurred that uh, that Lazarus was trying to to use, like to create this bridge, right, to get between the universes. And so all of these explosion winking out effects are like echoes and waves that have happened because of him trying to use use this technology to get into it, right? So they're like waves that happen at random intervals afterwards. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I feel like they did not communicate that very well <laughs> in the episode. That's just my take. So before we get on to what could have been with the episode, there's one more thing that I really like about this episode stylistically, and that is when Kirk goes into the alternate universe. Okay, so they're filming this in Vasquez Rocks, which is great. It's great to get them off. Now, I'm a big fan of the sets of the original series, and as Zach and I talked on our From There to Here podcast, I really like it for Next Generation Season 1 as well, with the monocolored skies, like the oranges or the purples or the reds or whatever that they use. I don't know. I'm a big fan of that, and I like it a lot. So when Kirk goes into the alternate universe, the lighting is all different, and they're on Vasquez Rocks at night in one shot, and then they turn and they're on a stage, right? And it looks very different. And I like that a lot, the stylistically that there is still differences between these universes. And they're trying to convey that visually to the audience that it is a different universe completely. Yeah, I mean, that, that actually wasn't even planned. They, they were supposed to keep filming at Vasquez Rocks, but because the production schedule got out of control, they had to do it on the soundstage. And it, and it worked out for the best. I 100% agree with you, Brandon. Mm-hmm. So I like that part a lot as well. And, you know, not to be all negative here, there are certain things about this episode I like. I like the I like the big stakes, you know, the end of the universe as we know it, this entire quadrant and all that. Uh, I did like that. I like big stakes, too, with a baked potato, you know, <laughs> all the fixings. So medium rare. Uh, okay, we walked right into that one. But, I know, right? boom. but what, anyway, what do you guys yeah. think about his spaceship? Because I actually think it's pretty cool. I always thought, because I had, when I was a kid, I had the 25th anniversary, like, trading cards for you know star trek back in the day you had baseball cards you had star trek cards and all I had that. those yep I, I always remember this particular card the alternative factor i was like that's a really cool looking spaceship i always liked that card a lot and uh, when i finally saw the episode i was like oh it's from this one but but uh i thought that was a really cool it looks like kind of like a corvette spaceship kind of a jetsons kind of design and i i, I really liked that design you didn't really get to see a lot of uh, other you know spaceship designs on the original series, and I guess we missed this one when we were talking about all the spaceships, Ken, in our big. Well, I don't know episode, if it's a spaceship but... or a time traveling device. It it seems like it's wide open in the front, but <laughs> maybe well, it is. I don't know. Well, there's a. I'm sure there's yeah, a door the bubble that comes closes, there, right? and, like, yeah, it's like exactly. a Jetsons yeah, car. He's flying around in space. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a Jetsons. Yeah. Car. Okay. So I, I yeah, thought I mean, that it, was a pretty it, cool it, retro design, and I you know for having no budget, I give him a lot of credit for that. So. Yeah, if if you're if you're a fan of of old cars, and I know a lot of people that are, and I don't mean real old, but let's say fifties and sixties as opposed to like Model Ts, and they had that that rounded shape, and they were big and all that other stuff. It it definitely fit the era or the era before. It kind of it 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 made me smile when I saw it, and because it's like yeah, okay, I can I can kind of see where this is where this is dated a little bit, but yeah, I thought it was cool. It's you know it, it it's nice that they. They spent some money and built something, and it, it, it served its purpose. I mean, it was relatively simple, but, hey, it was effective. Did its job. And I will say this, uh, one last thing, as the, as the episode itself. Did, did Lazarus, the evil Lazarus's problem and, and plot, did it remind anyone of The One with Jet Li? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. So there's a movie, I believe it's from 2001. It was called The One. And Star Jet Li, and it was one of these movies that was like just a, a vehicle for him to show off his martial arts prowess. And it's about like uh, the plot is there's a guy who just you know uh, interdimensional cops or something like that, and they discover 
he discovers that, that he has to kill another version of himself from another universe in self-defense. And because of that, he becomes more powerful because there, there's a theory of, like, energy is dispersed throughout the multiverse. So whenever one of, version of you dies, everybody else gets more powerful. That energy is redistributed, right? So he makes it his... He goes kind of goes crazy. He makes it his, his mission to kill every single version of himself till he's the only one, hence the title of The One, which they never made a sequel. I was hoping for a sequel called The One, too. That would have been funny. But they never, <laughs> they never did that. But it, it kind of reminded me, like, some people, just, they just can't handle... And that, that was, that's why this Lazarus... The bad Lazarus in this episode went crazy because he just his mind couldn't comprehend the fact that that there's more than one of me, and uh, you know that you know uh, that that's a good trope for for I think villainous or antagonistic characters because that is crazy because we all talk about how special we all are and and how we're all unique and if you know if there are several versions of us then is anything we do that special because like if I did this yesterday uh, if I turn left and I should have turned right. Uh, they, uh, someone else could have turned right and, you know, th- that decision was still made. So what impact does my decision actually have? So, th- I mean, that's a much deeper and bigger concept than I think this episode appreciates. I felt like they could have delved more into that, the concept of, you know, multiple versions of us and what does that truly mean for, you know, our decisions and our choices and what, what does that really do? Does it ultimately really matter if infinite choices are actually being made in infinite universes? So, well, you know, Ken Tripp. One universe, one timeline, I'm in my happy place. But for Brandon, I see a wide open door now to Metatrex uh, with alternative factor. I think you can you can carry this message into a very heavy philosophical um, discussion. It, you really could because <laughs> you are right on that, 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 that piece, why he was going mad. And conceptually, that is, that is very easy to understand you know, yeah. wh- why he is the way he is. See, I don't know if I would have much to say on that because personally, I don't believe in multiple dimensions myself. I don't believe in time travel, things like that, right? Like I love watching them in science fiction. It's an it's it's a nice abstract thought process, but I personally don't believe in multiple dimensions. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I I there's lots of things in Star Trek that I don't personally believe in. I mean, you know, we're both big X Files fans. I don't believe in a lot of the things they talk about either, but I can still appreciate. <laughs> I can still appreciate the fiction, and I think it's it's it causes it's a, it's a cause for interesting conversation, just like philosophically waxing about what ifs, right? I mean, and that's what what is this fiction for if not that? Because truly, I, I do I feel the same way as you, Brandon. I feel like if there was time travel, we would have experienced it by now, right? Uh, or or if there ever if there ever is time travel, it's going to be some kind of predestination paradox where it becomes part of history. You know, I think those are the most interesting time travel stories when like you go back in time to prevent something and you're the person who caused it in the first oh, place. I hate that stuff. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I find the, the causality loop interesting. Um, yeah. Alternate universes. Eh, I mean, there's, there's there's so many scientific studies being done even to this day that like proves or disproves, and I will never truly know. Uh, at least I, I don't feel we will. We'll we'll see where technology goes in our lifetimes. We 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 got some time left, but mm-hmm. uh, I, very interesting concept. Again, ridiculous episode. Not the best quality. Poorly executed. Once again, in my opinion, but high high concepts here, right? And that's what mm-hmm. you can appreciate, even when because better to better to go down swinging, right, than like taking a called strike three to use a baseball analogy. So that being said, they really need to execute it better. They really needed to execute these things better. I could have forgiven a lot of these conceptual things that didn't quite make like which Lazarus is who win and all that stuff if they had just put a little more care and attention into the episode like the engineering set that didn't look like engineering there's a big sign on it that says engineering we've seen engineering all season long it looked nothing like that 
right? I mean, that's that, that's a that's just a gaffe. I don't understand why they had little mistakes like that. And just uh, and, <gasps> because we were in the alternate universe, and it's an alternate <laughs> engineering. There it is, Brandon. Fan- Fanboy justification at its best. So all, all that being said, there is a lot of behind-the-scenes reasons for why this episode turned out the way it did. And I feel like had, had at least... You know, it's all Barrymore's it just, fault. If it's an avalanche of things, right, that that really uh, handcuffed this production and, and made it what it is. And I feel like, you know, if, I want to go the alternate universe, right, the, the anti-universe <laughs> where the episode got filmed as intended. Because they, they cast John Drew Barrymore, who was a Hollywood legend from Hollywood royalty, you know. His daughter, Drew Barrymore, is probably the most famous of, of the family, at least, at least these days. He, they cast him as Lazarus. He's like the script. And they also cast Janet McLaughlin as Lieutenant Masters. There, there was supposed to be a romance between the two of them. And, uh, you know, Star Trek, they, they did their best to cast colorblind. She was the best actress for the role. They wanted to be a little progressive there and have an interracial relationship. You know, this is two years before Plato's stepchildren and the interracial kiss between Kirk and Uhura. So this would have been, you know, Star Trek, you know, trailblazing uh, as it as, as it has been known to do. But then, you know, the, the higher-ups got wind of this and it's like, okay, you can't. You can't, you can't have this. You, you can't have them have a romance. And they said, oh, well, but but it's progressive. Like, no, you can't do it. So they kind of, they, they had two options. They could have basically fired Janet McLaughlin, bought out her contract, and either just, just straight up bought her out or had her appear in a different episode in a different capacity. Or they could have stuck with it and uh, stuck with her in the episode and rewrit, rewrit it, rewrote it <laughs> around around that fact to remove the romance. And uh, keep in mind, another factor here was there. Uh, this this episode, the alternative factor, was in production around the same time as Space Seed, which had a very similar plot to the initial conception of this episode, where guest star comes on, he's very charismatic, wins over a crew member who betrays the crew for him, and then ultimately, you know, it's bad for everybody. Uh, so they said, okay, this is a repeating plot. We need to change one of these. Uh, let's change the alternative factor. <laughs> so those were the, the the factors that contributed to turning the episode into what it was. Meanwhile, these changes are all being made. John Barrymore reads the script. He decides, you know what? This is not what I signed up for. This seems kind of not worth my time now. I quit. So this was like the day before he was going to film. Mm-hmm. The day before. So he so he leaves and actually there was a there's a whole thing about how Star Trek kind of sued him and like there was a lot of legal uh, ramifications for that because it, I mean it's like signing a contract to do a job and not showing up. You can't, I mean, they you won. can't do that. They won the case. Yeah. So yay, good for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that happened. So then they're like, "What do we do?" So they they call they call Robert Brown who had, who had worked with William Shatner before. Uh, and it was his birthday last week. So happy birthday, Rob Brown, 90 <laughs> years old. So they called him and he had like, you know, less than a day's notice to get into this very complex role. Uh, and so you look at his performance, you're like, this guy is, what is he doing? But if you understand <laughs> like how he had no time to prepare for this, I, I think he did fine, especially as good Lazarus. I finally, like, well, he's a very kind of respectable, he has an air of respectability about him, and, you know, obviously he sacrifices himself for two universes, so he's a respectable guy. Uh, but then the crazy Lazarus is pretty over the top. I mean, but again, you have no time to prepare, and you're like, okay, you need to make these guys different. Go. <laughs> you know, so that's probably where he's coming from. And not everybody is Shatner, right? I mean, like, Shatner, you look at Enemy Within, that guy incredible incredible at over the top that's that's his bread and butter you know not everybody can execute it that way without being ridiculous and then robert brown was in a tough spot there so all these things contributed and then the special effects didn't i mean they had some grand ideas but it's the 60s limitation like kind of because i think the whole universe winking out is a brilliant idea but going to that same clip 
of like the galaxy, you know, and and that same musical cue and that same newspaper headline thing again and again and again is getting mentioned. Very distracting. All those factors factored into the alternative fact. I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see how many times I can say factor in this episode, guys. <laughs> take a drink. But anyway, so exactly, take a drinking game, guys. So very interesting. See, see the behind the scenes story, and that's why I love these. These are the Voyages books by Mark Cushman. A lot of these behind the scenes stories of these episodes are better than the episodes themselves, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you guys think? Would you like to see John Barrymore in this episode? Well, I, 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 I guess I never really thought about it. Um... I, you know, I, it it was what it was, um, and it was awesome. Do I think a changing of, of the actors would have? Yeah. It, hey, listen. You know, one of the things that I want to be very, very clear about is, um, in in what I really I was saying this before the show, I I really appreciate having uh, the ability to talk to Brandon because he just he loves Star Trek so much and. Um, and he sees things that that I don't see sometimes, or and, and that I want uh, that I would like to. And and I, I at the beginning of the show when you were describing the show, what you feel about it and why, and I look at it through your eyes, I can get excited about it, right? That's that's kind of the neat thing about the these podcasts is is the different views, and you know I, whether or not um, Barry Moore would have been in it or not, it would have been interesting considering you know I think he was known more for a director. Right, becoming a director as time went on, if I remember correctly. I mean, I know he was a big actor too, but uh, he did have uh, quite a um, a big career. So that would have that would have been interesting. But no, for me, I you know I, I don't know what they could have done to make it better or worse. I'll just say they, like you said, um, Zach, they they took a they took a good swing at it, and and I do appreciate everything you're saying about it, Brandon. I really do. I, I like I said, I, I'd be the last one to say you're wrong like we were on facebook or something because you feel a certain way i uh i i I enjoy watching other people's enjoyment of something that i i may not appreciate as much in in watching that impact i it's 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 kind of fun so i you know i i walk away from the from the alternative factor going yeah wasn't one of the better star treks but it had some pretty cool things about it and uh and and that's one thing you find in every episode you watch one more thing that just makes you go you know what this show really was ahead of its time even if they weren't able to flawlessly execute to the level we would have liked um it's it's still worth watching i mean what was the comment right you know if uh uh, you know if if the pizza's good it's great if it's bad it's still pretty good that's star trek to me (laughs) yeah See, I don't know Drew Barrymore, or uh, John Barrymore's John. work. I, I, I don't even know him. I don't know. I don't know his stuff, so I couldn't put him in this role. I don't, I'm not familiar with him at all. But it, Ken and I were talking at the uh, before we started recording here, and uh, we said that same thing. And it's like it's it's so f- funny and frustrating when you get into fandom and you're like, no, you're wrong. And uh, we were we were making jokes. We were like, yeah. So I'm gonna post a message on Facebook saying my favorite food is pizza, right? And like just to picture somebody saying you're wrong to that. <laughs> Right, you're wrong. It's Chinese food. That's the best food. It's like, well, no, I like pizza, right, or whatever it happens to be, you know. And I don't. I love this episode. I'm happy that I love this episode. I don't. I don't even listening to you guys. I still don't understand why you don't like it. Like, like I see the same things that you see. 
it doesn't detract from the episode in any way, shape, or form for me. And that's fine. I will I will sit here and I'll put the episode on repeat and watch it another four times today and uh, and I'll be happy for it, you know. And <laughs> I, I don't know, that's it's it's odd. You can go and watch whatever one you want, and that's great. You know, I'm not a big fan of this. You love it, good for you. What who am I to tell you you don't you can't like that, you know? And so I like to champion these episodes. And again, like I said, coming into fandom recently, it's almost like you can't say you like these episodes that a lot of people don't like because then you're ridiculed for it. And so I'm I'm happy to champion these episodes that I like that people don't because it might uh, encourage other people to say, hey, you know what, that is a good one. And this, I think that this is one of those aspects where it's like, it's so ingrained in society that it's a bad episode that you have to say it's a bad episode. Because of it, like Zach said himself, I haven't seen this in a long time. Well, have you not seen it in a long time because you didn't like it? Or have you not seen it in a long time because everybody says it's a bad one, and when I go to do my rewatch, I'm going to skip that one. When I do a Star Trek rewatch, and I'm watching something, I watch everything. You know, when I go through my D Space Nine rewatch, I watch Profit and Lace, right? You know, and I don't, like, I, I'm I'm going beyond here, right? But uh, Beyond? on but uh you know clearly listening to you guys you don't like the episode and that's fine you know like that's fine i'm i'm happy to champion it well i i think the uh the way i'd phrase it was there are aspects of the episode that i appreciate it didn't entertain me as much as it entertained you brendan and that's okay and i fully understand that as i was saying before before I, you know, I've only been on Facebook for two or three years, and that's it, right? I can't, I, and I only got on it so I could be on the Babel conference when I found Trek FM. And before that, I thought I was the only person that I knew of that liked Star Trek the motion picture. I thought it was it, you know. And then you find on Facebook that there's a there's a Facebook page dedicated to it and all this stuff, and it's like, ah, oh, you just want to reach out and give all these people hugs, right? You know, hey, Aaron Harvey, you know, <laughs> there's, there's some people out there that that really really like it and appreciate it. So I think the the good part of social media is is if you look if you look out there, I'm sure there are a lot of people that share your your affection for this episode and appreciation for that episode. And like you, I sometimes can get frustrated when I really, really enjoy something and you want to share that with somebody and they walk away and go, yeah, it's okay. Or, eh. you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like you're all podcast. pumped up and you're, cause, and, yeah, and it's, it's hap- <laughs> it happens all the time, right? Yeah, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. And, and that's why I said, you know, for me, my enjoyment is... The fact that we can have a podcast like this, you can get on and express it. And and Zach's got all these great facts and things that he's pulling out from the production, which just you know I've I've got the same books as as you do. And and you're right; these these the making of these episodes could be their own episodes. <laughs> they really could. If somebody went back and said, "Hey, the making of Star Trek," it, it would be just as much fun. But I would love uh, that, hey, yeah. you know, um, it, it, like I said, it doesn't make you wrong, bad, or hey, it was it was an episode of. Star Trek, I, I liked watching Star Trek. I, I enjoyed watching the episode. It didn't entertain me as most of their other episodes have, but like in everything, there's there's some good in it. And uh, and I'm glad that you really enjoy it and have something that's unique uh, in terms of your 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 opinion and your in your view of it. I think it's it's a healthy thing. I, I would never make fun of you for it um, until later on on Facebook when I absolutely just <laughs> just type this essay on why you're you're wrong and Chinese food is better than pizza and all that stuff. It's gonna be fun. But yeah, I, just yeah. wasted one hour with Bichet. <laughs> <laughs> That's two hours I won't get back because I had to watch the alternative factor. <laughs> 
Oh man, so you know, I have a couple just final thoughts here on on this stuff. You guys are absolutely right. There's a difference between favorite and best. You know, like like if you make a list of the best movies of all time, it's always like The Godfather or Citizen Kane, and that's fine. But those aren't on my top ten favorite movies of all time, right? Because at the end of the day, this is entertainment, and what entertains you more, right? I mean, it's it's completely subjective, right? I mean, you can enjoy certain things that other people don't, and that's that's why it's great to have so many. That's why it's great that Star Trek is so diverse, right? I mean, it's it has its concept, but there's so many shades inside that concept, and, and are they shades of gray? <laughs> well, <you know. laughs> which movie are we talking about? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with Star Trek, you know, the, everybody has like, oh, you got to go, to your point, Brandon, you got to, City on the Edge of Forever, Trouble with Tribbles, right? Everybody has their top ten list. This is an episode that no one ever mentions unless they're talking about, like, the worst of Star Trek. It's cool that there's this wide variety, right? I'm glad that every episode isn't exactly the same, right? I mean, I think that's that's kind of the rut Star Trek got into, you know, in, in, the, in the late 90s and early 2000s where it was like the same stuff over and over uh repeating itself going back to the well too many times look at the movies right that's a criticism of some of the movies so you know you, episodes like this they're they're crazy and you know they're ambitious and you know you got to give them credit for there um although i will say you know it, it's hard to just sometimes when somebody has a crazy artistic vision and it doesn't really connect or click with everyone you can at least defend it and say oh no this is as intended they had this whole plan and and they you know credit to them for for you know putting their vision to the screen and putting it to paper and all that this episode there's so much behind the scenes drama like it kind of you know if you step outside of that it does hurt it you can't really defend it in that way because it's like well there are it was going to be this but now it's this like we know that this was not the original intention and they changed a lot of things for you know uh, production things outside of the actual episode's control uh sometimes that turns out for the better sometimes it turns out for the worse you know and that's that's for the viewer to decide i mean i you know i know it was a huge controversy for them to take out the whole romance subplot here with the tenant masters and lazarus but uh you know indirectly kind of actually makes her a stronger character because she's just a woman there doing her job you know, and, and a right. lot of these Star Trek episodes, I mean, look at Space Seed. We all love Space Seed. We all love Khan. But it's like, oh, look, the guest star of the week woos the woman to betray her crewmates. I mean, that's not a good look for, you know, progressivism as far as women go because it's like, yeah, she's an officer on a starship, but she can just be, you know, convinced to betray all her crewmates because she she's attracted to some guy she just met. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's that's uh, fidgety stuff. But, you know, it, because they, they couldn't do a romance, we just have a an officer who is competent, obviously is in a position of authority, and does her job well. You know, so, I mean, that that indirectly that actually makes her a much stronger character than might yeah. have otherwise been. So that that's an unintended effect of, you know, network interference. So then that that's definitely a factor here. See, factor, working it in. Uh, factor here in this episode. So stuff like that. Uh, not all studio interference is bad or turns out bad. Sometimes, you know, you got to rein people in sometimes. I mean, that's doesn't necessarily it, it applies to different movies and tv shows in different ways so i mean you got to look at the good with the bad right much like lazarus you take the good with the bad uh and so this 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 has been a fun conversation because this is something that and that's something you know i i, I want to keep doing on standard orbit here i want to uh, pull up stuff that nobody's ever talking about and let's talk about it because i mean although we have 50 years of star trek if you go to any mainstream source like it's like let's let's talk about how great city on the edge of forever is and, uh, and it is great okay but i think it's it's all been said you know mm. i mean like there's so much untapped potential here 
and there's 50 years of Star Trek we can go through, and, and the alternative factor is one of them. And, I, I, and I've really enjoyed this conversation we've had today, guys. So and, and hopefully, if you haven't seen it in a while, this conversation has encouraged you to go revisit it yourself. Much like me, I hadn't seen it in I don't know how long. And it was like it's, it's almost like watching a new episode of Star Trek because I'm like, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> you know, so revisit these shows, guys. There's, there's a lot to it. Yeah, well said, well said. Well, it's been a fantastic time discussing the alternative factor here on Standard Orbit, but this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week, so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Don't watch any of the extras on the first disc because they're all duplicated over the second disc, so then that way you can just watch them in order and not have to worry about, oh, well, let me skip this one because I watched it on the first disc and do all that. Wait, to clarify, they have all the special features in column A on one disc, and then all the special features of column A plus column B on a second disc? That is correct. That makes no (laughs) sense to me at all. (laughs) I know, I was very confused when I sat down to watch it. Melodic Treks. Matter? I bury nowhere. Oh, it's painful. I don't know. You no, snowing me? Not. You snowing like me? Painful just saying Remus and blah, blah. I felt myself falling asleep. I felt like it was my parents were telling me a good night story where you were giving me that track listings there that... Like, Does it still it, McFly? That's, that's one of my favorite ones. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. Within about... 15 seconds you texted me back dr giggles we have to do dr giggles and my question for you is yes why did we absolutely have to do dr giggles saturday morning trek and all these things just brought in more and more people who thought they were alone and they found each other and they made their clubs and they then they made conventions and that just that's what the 70s were about was getting Star Trek back and finding each other. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So we here on Trek FM appreciate the support of our patrons. What's Patreon? Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash track FM, and you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So... For $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable where you podcast and, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So please 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 if you if you have the ability it is more than appreciated and speaking of our associate producers we'd like to thank renee roberts richard rutledge and aaron harvey thank you so much always for your support for both standard orbit and the trek fm network you can find renee on twitter at mres underscore 1701 you can find richard at rut8972 
And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter. All right, well, Brandon, as always, a pleasure to podcast with you, my friend. If people want to find you elsewhere on the network and the internet, where can they find you? Well, when I'm not trying to kill off the alternative versions of myself, you can find me hosting new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is our Trek FM Star Trek music podcast. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I just had an episode come out where I did an interview with Gerald Freed, who is the only living composer who composed episodes for the original Star Trek, and uh, he did uh, Shore Leave, Cat's Paw, and Amok Time, and a, and a couple others in there. So that was a lot of fun, and he worked with Stanley Kubrick. So that was pretty cool. Um, you can find me with new episodes of From There to Here, which is our year-long rewatch project, as well as on some recent episodes of Warp 5. And while the alternative factor is in my top three, if you want to hear me talk about my two other episodes that are in my top three, you can go back and listen to Standard Orbit number 140, James R. Kirk, where I talk about my favorite episode of the original series, which is Where No Man Has Gone Before. And you can tune into The Ready Room number 195 called Lamb Chop's Creepy Play Along, where we talk about uh, The Lights of Zatar, which is another episode that I just love to watch. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's me, and that's oh, and you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Matella. And every once in a while, I stick my head up in the Babel Conference. Excellent. What about you, Ken? Well, you can find me in the Babel Conference, and and could you imagine finding the alternate Brandon? What a jerk! <laughs> what a would negative be, right? guy! <laughs> oh my God, I'm I'm the good man. Oh man, he'd be at Star Trek conventions with flamethrowers. Brandon is such a great guy; he would sacrifice himself to battle his duplicate in a corridor for all eternity. So, mm-hmm. oh, especially oh, if his alternate self didn't like. No, it is a good factor. episode. That's, that's what <laughs> oh, they're yeah. arguing about. <laughs> Anyway, you can you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm I'm up there as as much as we can be, uh, talking about our shows. And and uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Boston SCPO. That's Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. Uh, been putting a lot out there lately. A lot of good things coming on. And uh, recently did my very first episode on the 602 Club, and I loved it, Matt and uh, Rich Marquez and I reviewed the movie Arrival. Great movie. Uh, very very fun podcast so uh, I, lo- I look forward to uh, to connecting with everybody online excellent excellent as for me you can find me on twitter at moronzach that's m-o-o-r-e-o-n-z-a-c-h I'm also the host of my own podcast called always hold on to smallville where we talk about each and every episode of that young superman show we're on twitter at always smallville with one s and I'm, of course, always around here at Trek FM, the Babel Conference, Standard Orbit every week. So uh, it's really been fun interacting with all you guys, and uh, we'll, we'll keep this going in the future. I'll, we love to hear you guys' feedback. And to that point, we have decided to extend our Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 Blu-ray giveaway until December 15th. So if you guys want to uh, leave us a review, please, on iTunes, <laughs> on iTunes uh, you'll enter you into a drawing to receive our uh, free giveaway of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 on Blu-ray. This ties into our TOS as TNG episodes, or TNG as TOS episodes, I should say, uh, from a few weeks ago. So we just want to give more people an opportunity to win and also leave us reviews. So, uh, listen, guys, you guys love the show. If you, if you do, if you don't love the show, if you have any opinion whatsoever of the show, of Standard Orbit, please go to iTunes, leave us a review on there. That helps us increase our listenership and uh, lets more people enjoy what you guys enjoy every week here on track of him so we would very much appreciate you guys taking the time to leave a short or long as review as you want one star five stars it's all good just uh feedback it's always positive so 
constructive criticism, constructive criticism is always welcome. So we look forward to getting some more of that from you guys. And we'll keep you updated on uh, that contest and who wins. So that's going to do it for us this week on Standard Orbit. Thank you for listening. And join us again next time on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>